It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go-to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high-profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Happy Friday! You did it. You got through the week. I got through the week. We all got through the week. Um, as I start off every show, we, we keep uh, uh, the people in Ukraine in our thoughts and our prayers. They had a horrible week, a horrible week. And, and one of my seventh grade teachers from Poly Prep, who I believe is now 81 years old, uh, Mr. Fumo, Rob Fumo, a very proud Italian American, uh, you know, he wrote on Facebook. Uh, I, I know we're all upset and complaining about the price of gasoline, and it was five oh nine yesterday to to fill up. <clears throat> so well, no, it was five dollars and nine cents uh, for super. I think it cost whatever. I have a very small car, and it still costs sixty dollars to fill up. But he said, "I understand you're upset about that, but imagine the people who are sitting in some basement on a cement floor with a duffel bag." and their cat in their lap, wondering what's next for them in life. And, you know, that in those few sentences, it summed it all up. But um, there's not much that I could do to fix that or report on that because there are much better sources out there on that particular topic that can educate you. But I would like to take um, a little personal preference today and educate you um, on a friend of mine who whose birthday is today. Now, I actually have several friends whose birthday is today. There is um, my dear friend of ooh, almost 30 years now, Michael Weiss. Um, happy birthday to him. He's a great New Yorker, a great realtor here in New York, and he's the father of my niece, um, Carly. Um, there's Mikey Beauvais, who is the treasurer of the Department of Sanitation, and uh, for their union, I should say, 831. And he is he's the quintessential New Yorker whose heart is always in the right place. Uh, years ago, he formed an organization called the Neighborhood Improvement Association based in Diker Heights, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. And it's all about helping, helping the children. It's almost like a version of the Police Athletic League, but they stress instead of... Um, athletics, although they do have a portion of athletics, they stress a lot of after-school programs, a lot of learning programs, uh, a lot of extracurricular activities that aren't just about basketball. Um, And Mike is, uh, I'm afraid to know how old Mike is because he looks much younger. His brother Dennis looks like he's in his 20s. I know he's not in his 20s, but Michael has done so much for the city of New York. He has, um, he's the one who makes sure or uh, is part of the team, I should say, because that's what he would insist me on saying, because he's a very humble man, to make sure that the, the streets are clean, number one, and the streets are plowed, number two. And those are the unsung heroes of New York, the people who who are behind the scenes making this city as wonderful as it is. And I know, oh, it's not as wonderful as it used to be. Okay, whatever. We're, we're on our way back. We are totally on our way back. So to uh, Uncle Mikey, to Mikey Beauvais on uh, 67th Street and 12th Avenue, keeping the neighborhood safe, keeping our streets clean, keeping our streets plowed, taking care of his wonderful, beautiful family from his gorgeous wife, Maria, to uh, all his grandchildren. Happy birthday, Michael. I hope you guys are throwing back some red wine. I gave it up for Lent. Um, But there's another special birthday. Before I get into that last special birthday... I am a little dry because I was in court today. Um, And my big murder case that I was so excited to try um, and kind of blocked out my whole schedule and moved things around, it got adjourned. Um, But it kind of got adjourned for good reasons for the city, not necessarily for my client, but for the city. And the reason why is the courts are full right now. They are um, all operational. And so in Brooklyn, New York, where there are many judges, they were all occupied. There was not a courtroom 
to send this to. They tried uh, unsuccessfully basically three times. The judge who had the case wanted to keep the case, but her schedule wouldn't allow. Then they sent this to a second judge. Her schedule wouldn't allow. And then they sent this to a third judge, and her schedule wouldn't allow. And just keep in mind, on the National Women's Month, I said her, her, her. So I was, I was sent out to three uh, female judges, um, but they were all very busy. And uh, the, the, the fourth female judge... Uh, Judge Phyllis Chu, she was actually on trial, so they couldn't send us to her either. Um, but the trial got adjourned until April the 25th. Many people in my life are learning about this right now in, in real time. We will be prepared, um, and we're looking forward to it. So now, like, you, when you, just so folks understand, because my, my lead-in by my friend Matt Borzi says, you know, from telling you tales from inside the courtroom, I'm telling you this is literally inside the courtroom you know the family is there of, of my client and there were many people there for on his behalf uh, obviously the client is there my jack my partner mike jack reno is there i'm there my new associate lino damasi is there and we, you know we're like you're ready to go it's almost like at the kentucky derby you know when you see the horses and they're all warmed up and they feel the the uh, adrenaline and the exhilaration of the crowds and you know you get into the starting gate and they're like nah we're gonna do it in a couple of weeks so it, it's a it's an odd feeling, um, but it is what it is, and we'll back off on this case. Now we'll work hard on some others, and then we'll come back to this case, uh, you know, a week or two before it's ready to go. And uh, as they said about the $6 million man, we'll be better, stronger, faster, and all of the above. I haven't watched the $6 million man in a couple of decades now. But um, whose birthday is it that I would like to speak about in a very, very personal way? And I am so honored to speak about it in a personal way. And we, you won't just be hearing from me. It won't just be about Arthur's tales. You'll be hearing from Judge Andrew Napolitano, who was a judge in New Jersey. And you'll be hearing from the great Alan Dershowitz throughout the course of this show. Uh, so I mentioned I went to law school. I think maybe you guys figured that out. And uh, what you, you have to do things in the middle of um, in your summers of law school. So there's really two summers because the third summer you're studying for the bar exam, which is the test to become a lawyer. So there's the summer between your first and second year of law school and then between your second and third year of law school. And the first year, the first summer I studied, uh, I went to the, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office under Bob Morgenthau, and I was an intern there. I worked for a guy named John Esposito, who's now my law partner 32 years later. Um, and then the second year, I messed up, right? I was supposed to apply to these other firms and, and I, whatever. There were a lot of hoops to you. You're supposed to jump through. I didn't jump through them. I go to the career development office, and outside they had all of these, like, flyers about things you could do for the summer. And one was a study abroad program. And it was in Siena, Italy. And as, like, my dad would pay for things that were education-oriented, but he never gave me, like, spending money. So I never had money in my pocket, but for education and cultural things, I could hit them up. So, uh, you know, like he paid for my education. He paid for my housing. Not much more than that. There was no, like, couch, no bed, no table, but we figured it out. Um, so I went to him and I said, Dad, you know, there's this program. It's in Tuscany. It's in Siena, Italy. Um, and supposedly Justice Antonin Scalia is one of the members of the faculty. And long story longer, I wound up going to this program, and it was a, like a four- or five-week program. I believe there was 28 of us all together. And we lived in on this mountain, uh, an unbelievable, gorgeous Tuscan mountain, a hill, whatever you want to call it. I mean, what you see in movies and in pictures. And one night, Arthur Idala decided he was going to – now, this is before Justice Scalia got there – decided he was going to have a party. And um, I invited everyone over, like the whole program. It was like 28 people and the teachers, like 35 of us. And we had this tiny kitchen. But when I say tiny, it was a two-burner stove with a little sink. And that was it. There was no oven. There was nothing. And I cooked basically by myself. I had some of my classmates help me. And I just made like pasta and an antipasto. The only thing that was hot was the pasta. I made a red sauce and I made but a crazy antipasto. And then we got a bunch of cheap red wine, which is easy in Italy because it's also good. And everyone came and we had a blast. 
The next day, I mean a blast, like 3 in the morning. We had class the next day. The next day, the, the head of the program calls me over, and he's like, Arthur, I'd like to talk to you. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble again. Now in New York, I'm in trouble. In Italy, I'm in trouble. He said, last night was unbelievable. He said, Justice Scalia is coming next week with his wife and his two aunts. And uh, instead of us just going to a restaurant, I would like to recreate what you did last night. I would like you to cook for Justice Scalia and his wife and his aunts and the whole and the whole program. I said, Professor, that's like 50 people. He goes, yeah, don't worry, we'll pay for it. I go, the paying part was not what I was worried about. I'm supposed to cook for 50 people on a two-burner stove? And he's like, well, we'll figure it out. You seemed to do it last night. Well, that's what happened. And on that morning, I cooked and cooked and cooked. And then I looked out the window, and everyone's all dressed up. Everyone in the program, I'm wearing an apron covered in gravy and garlic. And as Justice Scalia pulls up with his wife and his two aunts, I see no one is going over to greet him. So I run out with my apron on, and that was the first real close encounter I had with Justice Scalia. Within minutes, he bypasses everyone. He's in the kitchen, ripping off a hunk of bread, dunking it in my sauce and putting it in his mouth. And that was a friendship that lasted for 25 years years. When we come back, we're going to talk about his legal prowess with Judge Andrew Napolitano. So we're talking about Justice Scalia and, you know, he's no longer with us. And boy, did that happen quickly because he was otherwise healthy and he was otherwise in good shape. Uh, he was actually out on a hunting trip and went to sleep and never woke up. And if it can happen to a great man like that, it can happen to any of us. So what do you need to do when you're healthy? You need to be prepared. You need to think of doing things like a power of an, like executing a power of attorney, a healthcare proxy, a will, a trust, a living will. You need to do that when you're healthy and you're not sick. Because you think you're not going to get sick. Sometimes you think you're not going to die. But nothing can be further from the truth. The fact is, if something happens, you might not be able to designate a power of attorney or a healthcare proxy or at the last minute execute a will. What could happen then? Then with uh, this, this court step in, you got to probate a will or you can't, uh, the, the, the doctors have to make health choices for you. It's essential to create these documents as soon as you can. When you're healthy, when nothing's wrong, when you're cool, calm and collected so what are you going to do you're going to call connors and sullivan attorneys at law they've been doing this for 40 years 40 years they know what they're doing they've been doing it for a long time and they've had thousands of clients they will help me they will help make a plan that protects you best you'll designate who you want to make decisions for you for a free in-person initial consultation with a lawyer call 718 238 6500-718-238-6500. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored in part by the good people at Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey. America's been thunderstruck by the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. Get high style without the high price, plus an industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Drive one today at Freehold Mitsubishi for the best selection and outstanding customer service. Just a short ride from anywhere in the metro tri-state area. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. This is for you, Judge Knapp. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Here it comes.
Judge Knapp, this is for you. <laughs> this is for you, Pavarotti. Is that worthy of you, uh, y- Your Honor? Oh, God. Am, am I worthy of Pavarotti is the question. God bless you. It's like the intro that our mutual friend, the great Joe Fiscovo, uses. <laughs> well, listen, you know, you have your own theme scored, Stone Judge Napolitano. So today, Justice Scalia would have been 86. Uh, he died oh. one month short, almost to the day of his 80th birthday. And... Um, you know, let me just just hand the microphone over to you because you're now no stranger to the microphone. Tell me just your initial thoughts when the name Justice Antonin Scalia comes to your mind. Well, Arthur, as you know, and and you had this experience as well. One of one of the great joys of my life was to become a personal, not professional, personal friend of his for the last ten years of his life, and it happened by coincidence. We were both spending the same. Uh, weekend at a friend's home the friend was con- was converting from judaism to catholicism and we each had played a small role in that conversion without ever having actually met each other but nino scalia was uh, a larger than life uh, figure who left an incredible uh, imprint on the jurisprudence of the supreme court and on the hearts and souls of those that he met he was a blast to be with he loved to eat and drink and have a great time. And he was always the smartest person in the room. And anybody who thought that that wasn't the case, he'd let you know. <laughs> so, so judge, let me just, uh, let, let's listen to what Ruth Bader Ginsburg had to say about his personality. Cut seven, uh, Matthew. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there was ever real anger. I would say exasperation is the word as annoyed as you might be about his zinging dissent. He is so utterly charming, so amusing, so sometimes outrageous. You can't help but saying, I'm glad that he's my friend or he's my colleague. Well, that was coming from someone whose judicial philosophy couldn't be any more uh, diverse or opposed to Justice Scalia, but that's how obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Judge Ruth, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg felt. Uh, and as well, you know... He- not only were they friends, they were opera friends. Correct, correct. She, uh, you know, she hit the nail right on the head. They were very, very dear friends. He once had me play uh, a practical joke on her uh, when I was meeting her. She was giving a talk at the university club uh, in Manhattan, and he had me seated. I don't know how he arranged this. He had me seated at her table. He said, now, I want you to get there about uh, 15 minutes early because she's going to be sitting there, and she wears these gloves that go up to her elbow, and I want you to take her hand and pretend you're going to kiss it because she'll go crazy. She doesn't let anybody kiss the glove. She'll let you <laughs> kiss the hand but not the glove, but she's not going to take that She's not gonna take that glove off. So I got on my knee, you know, my big bushy head of hair like you once had. Yeah, a long I, time ago. I'm, right, and I'm kneeling down. She can't see my face. But I grab her hand and pretend to kiss it. She goes, this has to be you, Andrew. Nino warned me about this. So uh, it was sort of a double joke. It was a joke <laughs> on her and a joke on me. I mean, yeah, he was he... Just, uh, just a delight. I, when I hosted him once at the university club, um, and he stayed overnight, I showed him at a library. Maureen uh, was with him. I said, Nino, the library's open all night. About three weeks later, after the weekend was over, he called me up, and he said, Remember, you showed me the library. Yeah. I went down there at 2.30 in the morning. You've got to be kidding. I was wearing my bathroom and slippers. What about the marshals? I let them sleep. So why are you calling me? Well, because I brought a book from the library. I fell asleep reading it. The next morning while I was shaving, Maureen packed the book. I said, Nina, uh... where's the book now? He said, staring me in the face right here in the court. I said, what do you want me to do about it? Just get that goddamn book back on the shelf and don't tell anybody about it. Don't <laughs> tell anybody about it. I told this story a hundred times between the incident with the book and the time he died. Then after he died, Maureen, in one of our many conversations, said, Andrew, what was the name of the book? I said, you know what? He never told me. She said, there are 5,000 books in this house. I said, don't worry about it. Yeah. Whoever you're giving the library to will have the university club book. That's and that, that I think is, it was a book about about Christopher Columbus. To be oh, honest with you, oh, don't say that word in New York. You can get in trouble, Judge. Don't say Christopher Columbus right. here in New York. 
right. You know, you you talk about um, Christopher Columbus. One of the I've had I had just so many uh, wonderful experiences with him, like and real experiences. I don't mean moments. I mean we were in Italy together twice, um, but. Uh, of uh, probably of all of the experiences, the chunk of time we spent together was uh, when he was the grand marshal of the Columbus Day Parade. And mm. I, I, when he passed away, I actually wrote an article in the Law Journal and I was on Megyn Kelly's show about it. And I said I'd been going to the Columbus Day Parade since I was a, like a little boy. I mean, I don't know, 10, 9, uh, because my dad was the president of the Colombian lawyers when I think I was 12. And always the Grand Marshal Judge Napolitano, they would, you know, they would watch in the parade from like 45th Street. They would get up to the Columbus Citizens Foundation, 69th Street. They'd stand there for 10 minutes and wave. And then they'd go into the Columbus Citizens Club, the building itself, and the rest of the parade would pass by. And that that happened year after year after year. And the year Justice Scalia did it, I was by his side the whole time. And... You know, it, like he's there for 20 minutes, a half an hour, 45 minutes. I'm saying, Justice, you know, you want water? No. I said, you know, I said, most people go inside. No, I'm good. No, he's there for an hour, Judge Napolitano. And until you could see the, the last uh, procession is the Department of Sanitation Columbia Association. That's the end of the parade. So I said, Justice, you know, that's the end of the parade. I said, you know, you're on it. Now, it's just the two of us. I said, you know, you're on I go, I'm becoming this parade forever. You're the only grand marshal who's ever stayed for the whole time. And he looked me right in the eyes, and it sits on my shoulder every day. And he says, Arthur, if you're going to do something, you do it right or you don't do it at all. And oh, my God. I try to – when I, like My father. <laughs> well, Bo, he's – you know, he was – I'm not going to say he was like a father, but he was like an uncle. And I even – I swear, Judge, when I'm hanging the Christmas lights – in the, in in November, early December, and you could take a shortcut. I have Scalia in my ear I, to this day saying, "Arthur, you do it right, or you don't do it oh, at all." God. I know you're gonna now have to run, Judge. Some... I I want to ask you though about uh, from a legal point of view, fifty years, seventy five years from now, what will Justice Scalia's legacy be? And I ask you that because I heard Justice Kagan again, someone who didn't believe in his philosophy at all, but loved him dearly they had a very close relationship she so said a hundred years from like now a baby at, i know she wept I know. like a baby at his funeral yeah. i was there a hundred years from now she made a speech a hundred years from now the only supreme court justice anyone will be speaking of is antonin scalia so what will his reputation well, she, be well his his reputation will be as the as the modern progenitor of the doctrine of uh, textualism and originalism, that the Constitution means what it says, and that it means what it said at the time it was ratified. And if it doesn't mean what it said at the time it was ratified, then it's not the Supreme Court of the land. And it is the duty of the judiciary when the legislative branch or the executive branch deviate from the original understanding of the Constitution to invalidate that deviation. Because Which if the Constitution should... is, to, is to be the supreme law of the land, then it can only mean what it meant to the people who wrote it. It can't be reinterpreted uh, by modern standards. That's what he will be known for. Which basically takes of, the power people... away from him. Correct. Right? It takes the power away from the judiciary people... and it gives it to the, the legislative branch. Correct. Correct. A lot of people mocked that interpretation when... He first came out with it. He's not the first person to come out with it. No. But he's the first Supreme Court justice to come out with it in the modern era. It has a lot more currency today than it did when he was on the court. He has more influence from heaven than he did from the Supreme Court. Well, Judge Knopp, I know you got to go. I have Alan Dershowitz coming up next. He sends his warm regards, and I hope we get to get together and break some bread real soon, Judge Napolitano. Yeah, yeah, Alan is one of the is one of the more brilliant understanders of the Constitution the around today. Day. God bless you, Arthur. Thank you. Thank you so much, gold, Judge. Silver and coin markets. Dennis Prager here for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Brokers continue to talk buyers into overpriced collectible coins, claiming they appreciate more than gold and silver. It's a fact that the majority of the collectible market has actually lost value even with gold near all-time highs. It's funny that dealers will claim they are the gold expert or the number one rated dealer in the country. Who says so? They? 
My friend, Nick Grovich, owner of AmFed Coin and Bullion, has been in the industry for 41 years and he's established a reputation built on trust, transparency, and fair pricing. If you're interested in buying or selling, call Nick and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion to take advantage of his honest advice and extensive expertise. 800-221-7694. That's 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. So either call or go to the website, AmericanFederal.com. AmericanFederal.com. AM 970 The Answer is proud to announce that the Salem Business Breakfast is back, and it's happening on April 27th. Hear from an expert panel on all things business. Gain invaluable insights that can't be found anywhere else. Joe Piscopo and the AM 970 Morning Team will be broadcasting live. A gourmet breakfast from DR Catering will be served. Bring lots of business cards to enter for great prizes. Register for free tickets at am970theanswer.com. River Spring Residences is an assisted living community in Riverdale, just minutes from Manhattan. River Spring offers breathtaking views of the Hudson River, gourmet meals, and top-of-the-line security and medical staff. River Spring is the right amount of support your loved ones need. Assisted joy, assisted comfort, assisted friendship, assisted community, and yes, assisted independence. River Spring Residences. The people you love will love it here. Call 833-56-RIVER. That's 833-56-RIVER. Or visit riverspringresidences.org. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Mitsubishi dreamers, designers, and engineers are redefining choices in mobility for a whole new generation of independent, modern, and savvy consumers who want value, like the new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander featuring its industry-leading Mitsubishi 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today, freeholdmitsubishi.com, or call 732-863-27. Eight eight. News, opinion, passion. This is AM nine seventy. The answer. Forty five degrees, clear skies on this Friday evening. What's going on? We have the answer. Well, New York City firefighters are outraged over a tone deaf banner displayed in an Albany rally, likening climate change to the nine eleven terrorist attacks. State Senators Robert Jackson and Rachel May displayed the banner, showing a plane labeled "Climate Change" headed towards an image of the twin towers. Following the outcry, both lawmakers apologized with former New York Governor George Pataki calling the banner a cruel stunt and an insult to the families who lost loved ones and responding heroes. FDNY Firefighters Association President Andrew Ansborough, himself a 9-11 survivor, said the event should never be used to prop up an unrelated cause. New York State's COVID numbers continue to decline. The state's seven-day positivity rate is the lowest it's been since last July the 20th. In addition, the daily statewide positivity rate has been under 2% for more than two consecutive weeks. And authorities are still investigating a body found floating the Passaic River in New Jersey. The Hudson County Prosecutor's Office says a dead man was discovered in the river in Kearney just after 6 last night. Emergency crews recovered the body in the area of Passaic Avenue and the Belleville Turnpike. An investigation into how the man died is being determined, and he is yet to be identified. Taking a look at the traffic, well, we got to start at the George Washington Bridge because it has just been awful, awful, awful all day long. And even though it's an hour delay now, that's actually significantly better than it was. That hour delay is the inbound upper level, 30 to 40 minutes for the lower level. Outbound both levels slow across the span. 30 to 40 minutes outbound to Lincoln. Looks like the Holland Tunnel, about 30 to 40 inbound from the turnpike approach. 45 minutes to an hour from the 1 and 9 approach. Cloudy tonight, rain moves in overnight, low 46. Rain tomorrow, turning to snow and sleet in the afternoon as temperatures fall into the low 30s during the day. Sunshine breezy on Sunday with a high of 38. And sunny on Monday, high of 53. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker, AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. Justice Scalia grew up in Elmhurst, Queens in the late 40s, early 50s in a conservative, working-class neighborhood. There was a lot of... uh, diversity in the backgrounds. There were some were Germans, there were uh, Irish, there were Puerto Ricans, there were English. It was a really mishmash, sort of a New York, New York uh, cosmopolitan neighborhood. Well, 
Now, my next guest did not grow up in that type of neighborhood. <laughs> but before I give him the microphone, before I let Professor Dershowitz speak, because I want to I wanna focus a little bit more on the law with Professor Dershowitz, although he had a very excellent relationship with Justice Scalia as well. Matt, let's just go with cut number one of Justice Scalia. Well, what's wrong with the living constitution? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is it's, it's wonderful imagery, and it puts me on the defensive as defending presumably a dead constitution. Well? Well, it is an enduring constitution that I want to defend. But what you're saying uh, is let's, let's try to figure out the mindset of people back 200 years ago, right? Well, it isn't Does the that... mindset. It's, it's what, what did the words mean to the people who ratified the Bill of Rights or who ratified the Constitution? As opposed to what people today think it means. As opposed to what people today would like. But you do admit that values change. We, we do adapt. We move. That's fine. And so do laws change. Because values change, legislatures abolish the death penalty, permit same-sex marriage if they want, uh, uh, abolish laws against homosexual conduct. That's how the change in a society occurs. Society doesn't change through a constitution. And that was Justice Scalia on 60 Minutes, which is an excellent, excellent interview. It was a two-part interview taken over a long period of time. He discussed it with me. He was reticent, but he trusted them. And I think it came out very favorable for him. That was Justice Scalia explaining his philosophy. But before that, he spoke about the neighborhood where he grew up in Elmhurst, Queens. Now, Professor Alan Dershowitz, Borough Park, I don't think had too many Puerto Ricans, unless you're going to correct me in the 40s and 50s. We had a lot of Italian-Americans, and they beat me up regularly at the 46th Street Theater. And we would have the Rome-Jerusalem border, the 46th Street Theater. And when we came out, we would, you know, exchange a few blows. Occasionally a garrison belt was pulled. But nothing, nothing, nothing tough. But uh, we get along. We get along great, even though we had a few, a few fights. You know, I first met Justice Scalia through his father. His father was a professor at Brooklyn College when I was a student body president of Brooklyn College. And we got to know each other then. And then um, the next time I met him, I come back to my office one day, and the phone's ringing, and I pick it up. And he says, hey, Alan, it's Nino. I, I didn't know who Nino was. I thought maybe he was a client or something. He says, no, 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 just the Scalia. I accept. I said, accept what? He said, oh, you're not aware of it? The students in your first-year criminal law class have invited me to come and debate you because you're constantly attacking my theory of the dead Constitution, and I want to have a chance to defend it. So he came to my class. We had a two-hour debate about living constitutions versus dead constitutions. Well, that's, that's great because, you know, he always said, he goes, when students, young students would come in and they would talk to him like, oh, this is Justice Scalia. He doesn't believe in a living constitution. He'd be like, yeah, I'm the guy who's rooting for a dead constitution. He's, nobody wanted anything to be dead. So, I mean, basically, in a nutshell, Justice Scalia said, if you want a law changed, don't kick on. And this is these were his words to me. Nine lawyers who haven't been to the corner bar and had a beer with the citizens in forever were so disconnected to what society wants and they want us to make those decisions? No, 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 no. Make your Congress people, make your senators have the chutzpah to make those hard decisions. Don't put that on us. It's a strong argument. It's a strong argument. But when you have a constitutional provision, the Fourth Amendment, that says the right of the people to be secure... Uh, then you have to decide how to interpret it. What does it mean? And there was a great case called U.S. versus Jones uh, involving the uh, <clears throat> feds putting a, um, a GPS tracker on a car without a warrant. And so I was I'm just wait, wait, Alan, let me interrupt you. I was in the courtroom for that for the argument of that case. Yeah. And I, I afterwards, but let me let me show you what a big shot I am. Afterwards, first I went and said and spent twenty minutes to a half an hour with Justice Alito, and then I went and had lunch with Justice Scalia. But go go right ahead. Well, the, both of them are involved in this story. So he writes the opinion, and he says that what you have to do is ask yourself what values the Fourth Amendment was designed to protect, and what would the framers have thought about a GPS. And he said he would have, they would have required a warrant. So he came down with a liberal decision. 
Alito dissented and said, no, no, you can't ask yourself what people in 1793 or whatever would think about a GPS. They couldn't imagine it. And then he says, well, maybe they could. A very, very small constable could be hiding in a coach and listening and <laughs> tracking the location. He kind of mocked Justice uh, Scalia, and then Justice Scalia mocked him back. Look, there are two sides to this argument. Uh, Justice Scalia's argument is, look, if you interpret the Constitution and expand it, the next generation of judges can interpret the Constitution and contract it. And that's what's going on now. We're seeing a contraction of certain rights. And he said it's much better just to keep it keep it the way the framers intended. But, you know, sometimes but he always it, stick to his principles. I, I don't think Well, so. wait, hold on. Before yeah, you I say, mean, Alan, hold on. Let me interrupt you. Before you say, did he always stick to his principles? Because I have a feeling you're going to yeah. show a time where he didn't. I want to show you a time when he did. Um, Matt, play cut number four, please. His philosophy has occasionally led him to decisions he deplores, like his upholding the constitutionality of flag burning, as he told a group of students in Missouri. If it was up to me, I would have thrown you know, this uh, bearded, sandal-wearing flag burner into jail. <laughs> but it was not up to me. And what Scalia said was, if it wasn't your own flag, you had a First Amendment right to burn. To, I mean, if it was your own flag, Look, you I, had a I First Amendment right I to think he violated. I think he did violate his personal philosophy a lot. Um, by sticking to the Constitution, but not always. So I wrote a book called Supreme Injustice, where I accused the five majority justices of allowing partisan politics to influence their decision to stop the recount in Florida that might have given Florida and therefore the presidency to Al Gore. So he comes to Harvard one day, and there's a dinner, and of course I'm invited because I'm his friend, and Elena Kagan is the dean, and she's presiding. And people raise their hand and ask questions. Well, I raised my hand first, and I was waving it. And Kagan was looking away from me, and she clearly didn't want to recognize me because she knew I had written this book and would ask a confrontational question. Finally, Scalia said, Elena, I'm not afraid of Alan. Let me ask the question. So I asked the question. I asked him a very tough question. I said, you know, the oath of office requires that you not – make any decisions based on partisan considerations. And there are a lot of people in this room who think that you may have made the decision based on your preference for a Republican president. And he said, Alan, are you accusing me of violating my oath of office? Don't accuse me of violating my oath of office. And I responded, Mr. Justice, then don't violate your oath of office. And, you know, the, the people in the room were, oh, he's talking to a justice that way. And he came over to me at the end and he hugged me and he said, I knew I'd get some tough questions from you. That's what I look forward to. He always did that. And he and I were in Israel together. We debated what a Supreme Court should be like in front of Israeli justices. He is the most significant and important justice in the last half century. His, as, as Elena Kagan said, his contribution is the most enduring because he, he changed the way the court looks at issues. Individual decisions don't matter. They get reversed from time to time. But he did it. He did it with panache. He did it with style. He always smiled. He was always friendly. Even when, you know, he said, I accused him of violating his oath, he had a smile on his face. He, he you know, they he, analyzed. He was a they, great professor. But I have to tell you. He would not be allowed to be a professor today. No way. If he were a professor today, his classes would be boycotted. He'd be picketed. And you remember when he got confirmed to the Supreme Court, my recollection is it was 98 to nothing. That's correct. And everybody knew it was going to be a change in the way the Supreme Court handled cases. But he was the most influential justice and you know you know what he told me what justice Scalia told me the reason why it was 98 to nothing and here's the difference between the way ronald reagan did something and joe biden did something ronald reagan didn't campaign and say i'm going to appoint the first italian american justice unlike way biden did but when he did nominate he he took scalia said he goes ted kennedy voted for me he goes because he has so many italian americans in massachusetts how's he going to vote against the first you know uh, supreme court justice well, I have to tell you, I spoke to Ted Kennedy about it because I was one of his advisors on judicial appointments. He always called me. He would always say to Ken Feinberg, get Al on the phone, get Al on the phone. 
And he called me and he said, you know this guy Scalia? And I said, yeah, I know him. I know him quite well. I know his father. How is he going to vote? I said, he's not going to make you happy with his votes, but you have to vote for him. He is a brilliant guy, a man of principle, and you would like him very much. And uh, he voted for him and everybody voted for him. And people didn't like his opinions the way Justice Ginsburg and Justice Kagan didn't like his opinions, but they liked him. And everybody talked. And that is not what's going on in America today. We need more Justice Scalia's in America today who can talk to people who don't agree with them. And that's not what's going on today. Well, he had that famous line. Where you can talk to different views as well. well, He had that famous line that, like, uh, great. Uh, stu- uh, stupid decisions come out of some uh, come out of some great people. Uh, oh, I don't I don't like decisions. Something like that. I don't uh, I don't hate people, but I hate some of their decisions because he didn't nev- yeah, he no, never made it personal. And well, after he died, he never made it personal, but he put people down in writing. Oh and, yeah, especially um, when he first uh, got appointed to the court. I wrote to him. I wrote him a letter, and I said some of what you're trying to do in the court is being diverted by the quips that you make. And, and, and uh, we had a conversation and an exchange of views. We had a good exchange of letters. The last letter he wrote to me uh, ended by saying, well, let's make sure we have a chance to talk about this before each of us becomes senile. I have letters of him hanging up on my wall, Alan. I look at his picture every day hanging up on my wall. The last thing I'll say, because I know you have to go, is shortly after his his passing, you know, a couple of months, um, I went into the gift store in the United States Supreme Court where I know the people. I know the women and the men who work in the gift shop, and they were so happy because the people, the curators of the Supreme Court of the United States of America chose to put Justice Scalia's portrait literally right outside of the cafeteria, where, which is right across from the gift shop. And all the people in the gift shop said, we get to look at him and see him every day because we miss him well, so the, much. The, the whole building really is dead him. without him. The day he died, I was at an art show in Miami Beach, and I was walking down you know, a crowded area, and I got the phone call that he died. I immediately called, I think it was the Daily News, and I said, I must write a memorial in op-ed. And while I was walking through art, I dictated a 900, 800-word uh, memorial from my heart. And they printed it the next day. Well, I, and, did one, uh, I did one in the New York Law Journal, and then Megyn Kelly was nice enough to put me on her show. Alan, we have to go, buddy. Thank you so much. I appreciate hey, you, and you know I love you. With you. And everybody, listen to Arthur. He's, he has a great talk show, so keep listening. Thanks, Alan. We'll talk real soon. Yeah. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Driving ambition for 40 years in the United States, Mitsubishi Motors sees the automotive industry differently. Mitsubishi challenges convention with innovative approaches in the way Mitsubishi engineers and builds their vehicles. Just look at the all-new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander, now in stock in all trim levels and all with the flexibility of third-row seating. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today. FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863. Two seven eight eight. Relief Factor, pain relief that works, pain relief that's real, pain relief that is 100% drug-free and liberating tens of thousands of Americans from their daily pain, me included. But it's not just me. It's people like Reggie from Florida. And this is Reggie's story. I have a lot of pain from aging, and after only four days of using Relief Factor, I'm already experiencing less pain and stiffness. Can't wait to see how I feel in a couple more weeks. Relief Factor is a blessing sent by God. Incredible words. Find out for yourself. You should be the next success story. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me, Reggie, and thousands of your fellow Americans. What have you got to lose except the pain you deserve to know? Don't wait any longer. You should be the next success story. Call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. 
This is Greg Floyd, president of Teamsters Local 237. Join me for Reaching Out. We'll talk about the issues that matter the most to working families, union members, and everyone who cares about the future. On the next Reaching Out, Greg speaks with John W. Rogers, Jr., founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Ariel Capital Management, the largest minority-run mutual fund firm in the United States. It's Reaching Out with Gregory Floyd, Saturday afternoon at 4.30 with an encore at 9 on AM 970, The Answer. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like the world is throwing everything it has at you. And to succeed, you need someone to guide you through. That's what Dell Technologies Advisors do. They have the Windows PCs and tech advice to help you navigate whatever challenges you're up against and get you safely to where you want to be. Call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. A start to a simpler experience with Windows 11 Pro. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. Friday evening, New York City, almost 7 p.m. I hope no one's on the George Washington Bridge because it sounds like it's horrible. I hope you're in your kitchen getting ready to eat. Got me on Alexa. Um, thank you for uh, celebrating Justice Scalia's life with me. He was he was just a uh, just a tremendous piece of my life. Uh, uh, being such a young person, a young lawyer, uh, having the relationship that I had with him was incredible. Um, and I I will say I appreciated it at the time. And I'll explain that story about me and my buddy Josh in a minute. But, you know, as many people who love him and adore him, I could have gotten plenty of guests. I could have gotten Lawrence Tribe on here. I could have gotten, you know, I give Ron Kuby a little more credit because he would probably acknowledge some of the good things Scalia did as well as some of the bad things. But um, he acknowledges how people look at him uh, in cut to Matt. I'm surprised at how many people really, really hate you. These are some things we've been told. He's evil. He's a Neanderthal. He's going to drag us back to 1789. They're threatened by what you represent and what you believe in. Uh, these are people that don't, don't understand what my uh, interpretive philosophy is. I'm not saying no progress. I'm saying we should progress democratically. You, you think there ought to be a, a right to abortion? No problem. The Constitution says nothing about it. Create it the way most rights are created in a democratic society. Pass a law. And that law, unlike a, a constitutional right to abortion created by a court, can, can compromise. It can see, Oh, I was going to say it can split the baby. I, I, I should not use it. <laughs> I, <laughs> a constitution is not meant to facilitate change. It is meant to impede change, to make it difficult to change. And, you know, that was a, um, a a great example of Justice Scalia making a point that could be somewhat controversial because many people, probably if 50% of the people in this country, um, believe that, you know, abortion is a right. And what Justice Scalia was saying there is it's not in the Constitution. The uh, our forefathers didn't, if they contemplated it, they would have put it in the Constitution but they did it. So don't tell us to make it a law. Go to your congressperson, have them write a law. Go to your senator, have them write a law and have it passed and make it that simple. Don't put the onus on the United States Supreme Court. The same with the death penalty. Scalia says, how could you say that the death penalty is unconstitutional when they wrote the Constitution, when they actually wrote it, the death penalty was, in fact, a punishment for many felonies. So you can't say it's unconstitutional if it was existed, if it existed and was used during the time of the writing of the Constitution. In fact, he did write a dissent uh, regarding the same-sex marriage uh, decision, and in the very beginning, he said, "Look, this is not a subject that is particularly. I have a particular." Um, Forget how he worded it. I should have the decision right in front of me. That that I have strong feelings on either way. I believe that's what he said. He said, but for my colleagues to say that there is a right to same-sex marriage in the Constitution, contemplated by our forefathers, when 15 years before this decision was written, nowhere on the planet Earth did 
same-sex marriage exists in any country, anywhere, the justices are taking on the role of the legislature. And that is not what's supposed to happen in a democratic society. But you heard Leslie Stone 60 Minutes talk about how many people don't like him. And the quote I was looking for before was what he said. It was actually, I think, in the preamble of one of his books. He said, I attack ideas. I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. Now, that's not 100% true. He did attack people in his writings, He especially um, Sandra Day O'Connor. He really used to go after her. And she was appointed by Ronald Reagan right before he was. She was the first woman on the Supreme Court. He was the first Italian-American. Um, I do want to just talk about how, um, you know, we're talking about how people don't like him. I remember he spoke somewhere where I knew it was going to be a the rough audience. And when he was done, I said to him, I go, Scalia, I go, they, they loved you. He goes, yeah. I go, they loved you. You won them over. He goes, yeah, now they don't think I have horns underneath my hair. He goes, that's how much they love me. Because he was aware of how people felt about him. And of the many times I went to the Supreme Court of the United States of America, one time I brought my, and I was very cautious about who I brought and when I brought them. Um, my dad obviously came with me. My uncle Angelo came with me. But in the very, very, very beginning of my relationship, I was in my mid-20s, I brought my best friend from law school, who's my best friend to this day, Josh, and we went and we watched some arguments, and then we went to into his chambers, and again, this was the kind of the initial part of my relationship, I, even though we'd spent time together in Italy, I wasn't as super close with him as I became, um, and he said, you, you guys want to see the court? And we're like, well, well sure. Now, normally they call a curator, some young person who comes, and he goes, come on, let's go. And Justice Scalia gave Josh and I a tour of the United States Supreme Court, taking us up and down and all around. And then I remember we go to Chief Justice Rehn Rehnquist's office, and he asked the marshal outside the door, uh, is he in? And I was excited to meet the Chief Justice. And the marshal goes, no, he's not. And Scalia looks at me and goes, good. And so Scalia walks in and he takes Josh and I into the room, the conference room, where all the decisions are voted on and decided in secret by the justices. I mean, it was amazing. There was an 8.5 by 11 pad, and then an 8, an eight by 10 pad, and then a 5 by 7 pad, and a 3 by 5 pad, all over the United States Supreme Court. Everyone had their little pencil. Their names were on the chairs. The most junior justice is closest to the door. If anyone knocks, they have to open it. So finally, he gives us the whole tour. We say goodbye, and Josh and I, we're passing by a men's room, and we literally went in there arm in arm, jumping up and down. You're talking about two guys who just graduated law school. We're both in the DA's office. We just got a personal tour of the United States Supreme Court by Justice Antonin Scalia. We were out of our minds. I mean, it was fantastic. And by the way, when I was talking about Mike Weiss earlier, wishing him a happy birthday, that is Josh's husband, Mike Weiss, and we'll be celebrating hopefully sometime this weekend Mike's uh, <clears throat> birthday. Um, and, you know, normally on Friday I do a Padre Lou libation, but I'm not going to uh, do the one that he gave me. I'm going to talk real quickly about the last time I was with Justice Scalia. Um, it was, uh, I went to see some arguments. We went in a car together. We went to the restaurant, and he was in a great mood. And I said, why are you so happy? And he said, because after the oral argument, I know how I'm going to rule on that last case. I wasn't sure, but now I know how to rule. He goes, and I'm in a celebratory mood. And I said, all right, how are we going to celebrate? He goes, we're going to drink. I said, okay. And we walk into Tosca Restaurant in the heart of um, Washington, D.C., and he tells the waiter, he goes, I want the table right in the middle. I'm with a big shot. I'm with Arthur Idala." And we sat down, and we had a bottle of Brunel de Montalcino. But before that, he wanted Campari. He just wanted a Campari on the rocks. <laughs> Excuse me. We had a Campari on the rocks. Then we had the Brunello. And then at the end, he goes, let's get some rot gut. I go, what the heck is rot gut? He goes, you know, grappa. And then we had grappa. Uh, it was unbelievable. Thank you for listening to my show tonight. Thank you for allowing me to uh, celebrate Justice Scalia with him and his aunt, his last remaining old relative. She'll be 99 years old on March 13th. Happy birthday, Aunt Lenora.
The preceding program sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi.